The talk this evening is on inner healing. When we open our hearts, we discover that there is a great deal of joy in the world and in living. Sometimes just in simple things, sometimes just listening to the rain, sometimes really connecting on the heart with another person, sometimes a joy just in being with ourselves and feeling a growing sense of strength and understanding. But when we open our hearts too, we also see how very much pain that there is in life, in the world, and in ourselves. And at times it feels almost safer to live without feeling, to live without being aware of the pain that exists, whether it is outwardly or whether it is inwardly. Sometimes it feels easier to have a life where we're concerned just with surviving, getting by, ordering our personal worlds, than to really have a consciousness which is so open and sensitive to feeling the pain all around us. And it's a choice, perhaps, that many people make in their lives, to close down, not to feel, not to have that sensitivity or vulnerability. But if you take the blinkers off, even just once, and even just once allow ourselves to feel the pain that there is, it can become such an overwhelming experience, sometimes too overwhelming, because it can feel that the world is in such a state of pain, such a state of conflict, and in that you can feel so very powerless and so very helpless. To be open, to be really sensitive, and to open our hearts, is to be aware of pain, It's to be aware of pain, not with a sense of powerlessness, but with allowing ourselves really to be touched. Because without being touched, nothing changes. Without being touched, there is no love, there's no compassion, there's no empathy, there's no understanding. Without really being touched by the pain that's around us and within us, There's not the willingness or the inspiration to bring about the end of pain. And pain is pain, whether it's your pain, my pain, whether it's the pain of anyone else in life, pain is pain. A couple of days ago I watched a film on television and it showed blacks in South Africa kicking to death other blacks. It showed people being burned to death. It showed children, black children, being dismembered and burned to death in front of their parents. I picked up a magazine in the office and it talked about an AIDS victim, a gay man who had AIDS, went into hospital, got over his pneumonia and wasn't dying enough to be in a hospital anymore. And yet there was nowhere for him to go to die. 
He was given, he's been given six months to live and there was nowhere for him to go. No one would take him. So he was put in a seedy motel room where on occasion a social worker would bring him hamburgers and leave him outside the door with no contact, no love, no care. And his pain of alienation, of rejection, of a lack of love is no different than the pain we would feel in that situation. The pain of a mother watching her children killed is no different than the pain we would feel in that situation. The pain of anger, the pain of violence, the pain of rejection, the pain of suffering, whether it's yours or whether it's mine, whether it's here or whether it's elsewhere, is pain. We look at it and we may feel, where does it come from? But we look at it within ourselves and we often get a sense of where it comes from. We look at anger outside and we see that anger means destruction. It often means death. But it certainly means alienation. It certainly means rejection. We wonder, how can it possibly be an end? How can there possibly be an end to that mass of horrendous suffering that exists in our world? And how can there be an end to this suffering that exists within ourselves? If we look at all of those expressions of suffering, you see that it's an individual suffering. We can't say South Africa. We can't say gays. We can't even say just women. It is an individual suffering, and human suffering is human suffering. And it's necessary to understand its source, because if we don't understand its source, if we just always keep looking at the objects, if we always just keep trying to use our thoughts to resolve it, trying to use our, our concepts to understand it, or trying to use our defenses to avoid it, there's no end to it. We need to understand its source as it is within ourselves. And when we look at our pain, when you look at your pain, you can see that the pain that we experience now, the pain that you experience in the present, often has an enormous to do with what we've experienced in the past. That who we are in this moment, how we see ourselves, is strongly influenced and affected by what we have experienced in our past. The attitudes we have, the feelings we have, the way in which we relate to others, to the world, our vision of ourselves, the way in which we act, the directions we choose in life, are strongly influenced and at times determined by the power of the past. We can't afford to ignore the past. Sometimes we try to ignore it, sometimes we try to let go of it. At times we may find ourselves suppressing things that have taken place in the past. 
And yet we need to clearly appreciate the power that the past has to influence us in the present. And the past, with all its variety of experiences, is in many ways our constant companion in life. There is an undeniable relationship between past and present and future. And because of that relationship and because of the power of the past, there is the need for healing. If there's going to be wholeness within ourselves, if we're going to have an all-embracing vision of ourselves, if we're going to fulfill our potential as a human being, then it's very necessary and important that the past is integrated. Because it's that integrating of the past that brings healing in the present. And that healing is necessary to bring about an end of division, an end of fragmentation, an end of separation, first within ourselves. That healing is necessary to bring about an end of division and fragmentation and division wherever it exists in our world. Because division only means pain. That healing is necessary if we're going to be able to accept ourselves totally as we are in the present and be open to the totality of ourselves. Inner division, the inability to accept, to accept ourselves, holding limited visions and images of who we are, many of the destructive patterns that we experience in the present are so frequently nothing more than a product of the past that has not been integrated. Destructive patterns, destructive ways of relating that we use to undermine ourselves, that we use to create division, are so often nothing more than a product of a past which still holds a tremendous amount of power to influence how we see in this moment. We look at conflict. We experience conflict, passing conflicts in our relationships with one another conflicts in our relationship to ourselves. And conflict, of course, expresses itself in varying forms. And yet when we look at our own conflicts, really look at where we feel conflict, we see this endless repetition. We see this repetition in the present of conflicts that we've experienced so often in our lives, the same themes, the same patterns. And so many of those conflicts a product of a past that hasn't been integrated and so has the power to influence the present. Our reactions, our defense mechanisms, at times our aggressiveness, is the power of the past superimposing itself upon this moment. It's rarely that Defense mechanisms, aggressiveness is just born in this moment. It has its source, and it has its source in pain in the past that's been carried into the present. Any image that we hold of ourselves, any image that I am like this, that I can't do this or I can do this, 
that I am a particular kind of person, that I have certain limitations. Any image is a product of the past. It's a product of the past influencing our vision of ourselves in the present and any image, any description, any label is a restriction, is a limitation. The possibility of wholeness, the possibility of freedom in the present is going to come about through integration, is going to come about through healing, it's going to come about through really neutralizing the power of the past to influence the present. It's going to come about through freshness, through understanding, through awareness, so that in this moment we are born. So that there is the freedom to move in our lives without the burdens, without the accumulations, without the labels, without the images. So that there's the understanding and the awareness that in each moment there is a birth. And that in each moment of awareness, in each moment of true sensitivity, in each moment of openness, there's a possibility of a birth within ourselves of wholeness, of completeness, of a vision which is all-embracing. <coughs> Healing will come not through invalidating the past and not through ignoring it, but really through the capacity to change our relationship to the past. It's not as if we erase it. It's not as if it ceases to exist. But there's a possibility of a change in relationship which brings inner healing. And it's that change of relationship to the past which frees us of division, which frees us of limitation. And that freedom from division inwardly and understanding the way it comes about gives us the power, the capacity to heal in every area of our lives. The place of healing is in relationship to pain. We can't avoid pain in our lives. And at times, the painful experiences in our lives we learn from and we grow through. At times, the painful experiences in our lives come in time to be a source of strength and of understanding. But the painful experience also has the power to stop growth. The painful experience, if it's not understood, if it's not integrated, has the power to suffocate learning, has the power to stop about fulfillment of our potential in the present. Our lives are a process of moving from one experience to another, the painful and the pleasant, the unpleasant and the joyous. We move through a whole variety of different life experiences that we can't control. We try and sure control the, or order our personal worlds in a way in which we aren't exposed to pain, in a way in which we aren't hurt. But there's a whole variety of experiences in life <clears throat> that is simply beyond our power to control. And because we can't control life, because we can't control the variety of experiences that come to us, we are exposed to pain. And pain makes a deep impression upon us. 
The experience of pain makes a powerful impression upon our vision of ourselves. The painful experience has much more power, it seems, to condition us than any kind of pleasant or positive experience. We can grow up feeling quite loved and quite accepted and cared for, and yet a single rejection... A single rejection by another person can be, have the power to totally shatter all of our sense of being lovable. A single rejection has the power to create an image within ourselves that we are unlovable. We can grow up in our lives feeling quite secure, protected, relatively safe, and have a whole variety of experiences that supports that feeling, and yet a single, real, deep, painful experience of loss, of being undermined, can totally shatter our sense of security, our sense of balance, our sense of steadiness. We can feel throughout our childhood, throughout our adult lives, to be accepted, to be supported, to have positive relationships, and yet at times it can take just one single experience of some real negative undermining feedback or contact with another person, and it can totally destroy our sense of being accepted, our sense of being acceptable. Pain does make a powerful impression upon our vision of ourselves. And it's rare that the painful experience or the real traumatic experience is just let go of. It is much more frequent that on the basis of the painful experience we adopt and believe in limited visions of ourselves. And it's much more frequent that on the basis of painful or negative experiences that we construct negative images about ourselves. And on the basis of those negative images that are created, we see the world and we see ourselves. It's almost as if the painful, the traumatic, the powerfully painful experience has the impact or the effect of almost wounding our vision of who we are as a person. And we carry our memories of pain into the present. Sometimes we can even direct our lives on the basis of those memories and those images. We can direct our lives in a way in which we try as desperately as we can to avoid the repetition of pain. And avoidance and fear can become then the kind of dominating and primary motivating forces within us. Pain makes such a deep impression upon us, frequently because it touches quite directly upon latent or suppressed or unconscious feelings of being inadequate, or of being worthless, or of being incomplete. And the painful or the traumatic experience brings up those feelings within ourselves. It brings them into the consciousness. 
And those very feelings of inadequacy or worthlessness, of course, are conditioned by experiences which have taken place in the past. When those feelings come up, fear and avoidance become their expression. And when there is fear and avoidance, there is such a sense of limitation and such a sense of restriction, outwardly and inwardly. When we are afraid, when we feel inadequate in any way, when we feel frightened, then invariably our response to that is to wish to be safe. And this desire for safety is probably one of the most destructive and undermining tendencies that we have. Because of that desire for safety, we become dependent. We form relationships of dependency which are constantly undermining Because of that desire for safety, we become defensive. And when we are defensive, we're always afraid. Because of the desire for safety, we shelter behind roles or behind relationships, which may be characterized primarily or distinguished primarily by their seeming or appearance of being unchallenging, unthreatening, or safe. And every time we do that, every time we construct an image and hide behind it, every time we construct a defense mechanism and try and protect ourselves through it, we undermine our trust in ourselves. We bring about and reinforce and perpetuate a sense of powerlessness. Avoidance and fear is the power of the past imposing itself on the present. Avoidance and fear are limited images of ourselves created through the memory of pain which are expressed through particular ways of being, particular ways of acting, particular ways of living which are characterized by avoiding, by not confronting, by being afraid and seeking safety. That carrying of those images course, is not contained with any particular area of our lives. But that carrying of those images of pain and the defense mechanisms that are created through them can influence every single area of our lives. Become afraid of people, afraid of relating, afraid of being open, afraid of being rejected, afraid of being challenged, afraid of not being adequate, and it expresses itself endlessly in so many different variations. The traumatic experience, the painful experience, essentially, when it's not integrated, when it's not understood, and at times these painful experiences take place at an age where it's not possible to understand them, the painful experience creates a kind of block within ourselves, And we begin, by a block, I mean, we begin to define ourselves by that experience. It becomes a kind of a kind of stopping point. And we construct then our whole vision or image of who we are 
upon the basis sometimes of a single painful experience or a repetition of them. When we define ourselves by an experience, we obviously see ourselves in a very restricted, frozen way. And when those blocks exist within ourselves of the painful or traumatic experience, we try and protect ourselves. But rarely do we heal ourselves. And sometimes protection is felt to be a kind of healing. You know, sometimes if you've been in a very painful relationship or been exposed to a very painful experience, it's felt very necessary really to not allow it to happen again, to block it out, to avoid it. And sometimes it seems that that is a way of healing oneself. And at times it is necessary, for sure, to take that space where there's not the exposure to the repetition of that pain. But self-protection so quickly becomes habitual. And when it becomes habitual, there's so little healing that takes place. Because self-protection can almost become an end in itself. And in that, the very desire to protect ourselves becomes another block. Because the desire to protect ourselves often stops us learning. The desire to protect ourselves suffocates our capacity to be open. When we look at the past, when we look at the present, we may see the presence of blocks within ourselves, experiences which have been frozen, experiences which have been locked into our way of being, experiences which have become the basis of a particular way of seeing ourselves, seeing the world. And we see that those blocks actually mean pain. If we are stuck at any point in our growth, stuck in any point in our past of pain, it eventually, it essentially perpetuates pain because it stops us from growing through it. The blocks really stop us from learning from it and the blocks particularly stop us really from being alive in the present. Instead, we are stuck somewhere in our minds and our feelings in something that has in time actually finished. We may have had a relationship where we've been rejected. That rejection may have brought up feelings of being unworthy, feelings of being unlovable. When those feelings come up and when they're experienced, the mind, our whole being in fact, tends to draw certain conclusions and negative learning from those experiences. The negative learning is in the form of an image. I am unlovable, or I'm not worthy of love, or I don't have the openness to be loved, or, or the qualities which will make me lovable. We may find that we draw negative learning which expresses itself in our actions. That feeling of being unlovable or unworthy, we may draw the conclusion that really it's better not to be in a trusting or an open or an intimate relationship because it might happen again. We may draw the negative conclusion that the world, other people, are essentially, is essentially an uncaring, unfriendly or hostile place. 
We may have had in the past the experience quite clearly of not being accepted for who we are. We may have had quite clearly the experience of being rejected and being undermined. And again, that experience is carried into the present. That experience often builds up a a sense of weakness, a sense again of inadequacy. And again, certain conclusions and negative learning comes from that experience. Fear is negative learning. We may come to fear a whole variety of things and situations which seem to have power. Fear authority, fear people, fear relationship. And when there's that negative learning that comes that one fears I'm not acceptable, then of course the acceptance of other people becomes much more important and much more meaningful than how we feel about ourselves. We may have been exploited in the past in some way, overwhelmed, abused in some way, and felt through that exploitation to be powerless, to be very vulnerable in a negative way. We may carry that experience then into the present and carry our negative learnings and our negative conclusions from that experience with us that the world is a place where I must try and be or strive to be independent, invincible, untouchable. And of course, that painful experience influences and creates an image, and the image, of course, creates our image of others in the world, and our images determine our actions and determine our, our capabilities often within any field of action. And throughout it all runs this stream of pain. Pain is a common denominator and pain is the basic source and the link between the past and the present. And those blocks that we have within ourselves consume such a tremendous amount of energy. We are not aware of how much energy is consumed in avoiding, how much energy is consumed in defending, how much energy is consumed in creating defense mechanisms, in hiding and protecting. Sometimes those areas and those forces and those expressions in our lives can simply consume so much energy that there's not the energy left over to really tap into a new way of seeing ourselves. There's not the energy left over even to question our belief systems, to question our images, to question the kind of identities that we assume. The past becomes a block because the past, when it's unconscious, becomes a reference point for the present. I have experienced this, so I am like this. I have felt like this, so now I feel like this. That past, that influence, essentially colors our vision, 
colors our vision of who we are in the present and gives really little possibility of breaking free of the kind of chains of the past because it is so unhealed, because there's so much lack of integration. Sometimes we become really aware of the influence of the past. And sometimes, often in a situation like this, or a situation of being with, one, uh, with oneself, or even sometimes a situation of conflict in the present, we become really aware of the influence of the past. We become really aware of its power. We become really aware how much that lack of integration of the past is really stifling our growth in the present, how it's really inhibiting openness and freshness. And we see how much negative learning is accumulated. And in seeing that, really fundamentally, not intellectually, but really fundamentally see the need to bring about an end to the power of the past, an end to to the grip of these past experiences which in time have finished but which are given life through their repetition and perpetuation in the present. We may feel through that awareness of the power of the past, we may feel motivated to become more conscious of the past. Sometimes the awareness of its influence makes us feel that we have to go back, that we have to work it out, that we have to perhaps even to try and erase it in some way. And it is a fact, I feel, in actuality, when there has been a great deal in the past that has not been integrated, which has been suppressed or repressed in some way, there is a real need to bring that kind of suppression into consciousness to make that which has been suppressed, to make that which has been unconscious, to make it conscious. But it it is what happens when it is conscious that it is of vital importance. It is what actually happens when we bring that kind of element of suppression and when we bring those kind of traumatic or painful experiences into consciousness that's of vital importance, what we do with it now, how we relate to it now. Often when we bring the painful past into consciousness, that bringing of memory and that bringing of past experience for sure brings with it a whole variety of painful present feelings. You don't pull out memories from from the past. You don't pull painful memories out of the closet and expect that there's going to be no response in the present. They bring their associated feelings with them often feelings of anger, feelings of grief, feelings of sadness. And that's a healthy process. That bringing those feelings into the consciousness is a healthy process. It's healthy if those feelings are integrated, if they're accommodated, if there's sensitivity, and if there's understanding. It becomes an unhealthy process if in the bringing of those memories and those feelings into the present there comes about an obsessiveness with them, a preoccupation with them and a dwelling upon them. Then that process can bring about an effect upon ourselves which actually perpetuates the pain rather than understanding it. Because if we bring the painful memory and the painful feelings into the present and there's not the space to accommodate them, 
there's not the willingness to be open to them, there's not the sensitivity to understand them, then so often those feelings which are brought from the past into the present become the basis of constructing a new image, become the basis of constructing a new image for ourselves now. It's not just me that this happened to before, but now it's me who is like this. And sometimes the images that are constructed through dwelling upon the painful feeling are often images which have an undermining and limited association for us. Because when we dwell upon and identify and isolate the painful feeling out of the, out of the totality of ourselves, we tend then to create in the present force another image which is undermining. Either it's the me who feels poor me, who feels a lack of power, a lack of capacity to change, the me who feels paralyzed, or it's the me who wants to dump and to divide. And both of those images are images which in the present for us are going to create and reinforce pain. Change in the past doesn't come, I feel, through dwelling on it. And it's probably fairly obvious to us at this point in our lives that it's not possible, simply not possible, to erase the past. But with sensitivity and with understanding, there is the possibility of neutralizing the power of the past. And it's through neutralizing the power of the past that there is going to be freedom in the present. Ending our blocks, bringing an end to those blocks, is essentially, in many ways, bringing an end to our belief systems about ourselves. Dissolving the blocks that we have within ourselves comes essentially through changing our relationship to the past and to the present. Because when we have an image, it's not always the description of ourselves that is the big problem that I am like this, or I have experienced this in the past, or I am like in a particular way. It's not always the image which is the major problem. It is almost this indestructible belief system in it. That level of such deep identification with it that one's belief system makes up the total reality of oneself. Ending the blocks means changing our relationship to the past and it also means a willingness to change our relationship to the present because the past gets expressed in the present. It gets expressed through avoidance, it gets expressed through fear, it gets expressed through dwelling. What, working or erasing or dwelling on the past isn't liberating. What is liberating is being able to see the false as false, being able to see the true as true. And the falseness of our belief systems is only clearly seen when we test them, 
when we go beyond the limits of our belief systems about ourselves that create limitation, that create restriction, when we cease to hide, when we cease to avoid, when we cease to protect, when we cease to build up the defense mechanisms, that means confronting the power of the past and the present. And to change the past, we have to be willing to do that. We have to be willing to change the present. We have to be really willing to look at where we avoid now, where we hide now, where we protect now, where we create division now, where we perpetuate pain now. Because by seeing that in the present, we look at the past. By seeing that it's not necessary to do that in the present, we neutralize the power of the past. But we only see, really see, that it's not necessary to do that in the present by actually extending ourselves beyond the limits of our belief systems and having the courage and the strength to take risks, to be vulnerable, to be open, to really question and see through our own experience whether the limitations the the defense mechanisms, the ways in which we protect ourselves, whether that is really necessary in our lives. Changing the past means redefining ourselves in the present. And redefining ourselves in the present can be an incredibly painful thing to do. Because redefining ourselves in the present does mean looking clearly at who we are now and looking clearly at the ways in which we are perpetuating pain. And yet by redefining the present, we understand the past. Redefining the present means looking at our attitudes, our identities, our directions, our images of ourselves now. It means questioning our images in the present. Are the images that we hold of ourselves, are they an expression of of understanding and acceptance? Or are images that we hold of ourselves in the moment constructed out of nothing more than defensiveness and protection? It means looking at the directions that we are taking in our lives right now. Are the directions that we're taking in our lives right now the choices we're making, the actions we're pursuing? Are they an expression of creativity or are they an expression of safety? It means looking at our relationships as they are in the present. Are they nurturing us? Are they bringing growth, sensitivity and understanding? Or are, they, are we hiding in them? It means looking at our relationship to ourselves. And this is the area which is often so difficult to look at the relationship to ourselves. Can we be alone with ourselves? Can we be alone with ourselves and feel in that aloneness that we are really connected inwardly? Can we feel in, that, in being with ourselves that we are really nourishing ourselves, that we are connecting with our own resources and really utilizing in a creative way the resources that we have? Do we know what it means to be with ourselves and really go into ourselves and really know and understand ourselves? Or are our lives in this moment a process of avoiding that to distraction, 
through distancing, through compensation. And all of that redefining can be very, very painful to do because it is really difficult at times to really be with the actuality of ourselves and to really look at the ways in which we're perpetuating pain and the ways in which we're perpetuating division. And yet it's only by that looking with honesty that do we begin to heal. We never heal anything through avoiding. We never heal anything through protecting. We never heal anything through defending. We only begin to heal when we can be honest with ourselves, when we can be with who we are and look at all that that involves. Because that being with ourselves, with the whole variety of experiences and feelings that are taking place within ourselves and being open to them and trusting on our capacity to be with them, is really the beginning of inner reliance. It's the beginning of strength. It's the beginning of learning to trust in who we are as a person. It's the beginning of ceasing to be a victim of our own fears and our own need to avoid. It's the beginning really to cease to believe in our images of powerlessness, in our images of alienation, in our images of disconnection, and being with ourselves, with the totality of ourselves, seeing the changes that take place within it, seeing that there is a capacity to bring about change. It's the beginning of ending our limited belief systems. And so often these belief systems are one of the major hindrances that we experience in our capacity to heal inwardly. It means that being with ourselves really means ceasing to sacrifice freedom for safety. It's a way, really, of taking a kind of responsibility for the quality of our own lives and the quality of our own being. It's a way where, in this moment, we don't necessarily say, it's just because of that I feel this that we can say, yes, there is because of, but there is also now. It's one of the most simple and yet one of the most difficult things to do, to be honest with ourselves, to really have a sense of who we are. And there are no magic formulas There are no shortcuts, no kind of quick, easy, ten steps to enlightenment kind of books. That whole path of knowing ourselves means a path of really being with what is. And sometimes that is pain. And yet, it is much more painful not to be with ourselves. To be honest and to be clear and to be open may seem painful. And yet it's much more painful not to be honest. It's much more painful not to be open. It's much more painful not to be with ourselves because it's a pain that continues. The ingredients for bringing about that capacity to heal are many. 
they begin for sure with being aware being aware of the effects of fear on our lives, being aware of the effects of avoidance, being aware of the effects of protection, really being aware of the effects that that has on ourselves in terms of restriction, in terms of limitation, and really questioning whether we want to live in that way, whether we wish to live a life of limitation, whether we wish to live a life of restriction. It involves a lot of understanding. It involves a lot of vision. It involves a lot of trusting in a vision of our own potential and our own being that we do have the the potential to live as fully caring, fully sensitive, fully whole human beings and to trust in that vision of ourselves. That trust brings energy and energy is really necessary. Energy that's not sapped by our conditioned fears, our conditioned avoidances. Energy that is really single-pointedly directed towards what is of real vital significance in our lives, which is freedom. Which is really freedom. The freedom to be, the freedom to give, the freedom to love, the freedom to heal. The path of being with oneself the path of being still and connecting inwardly is a path of meditation. It's a path which brings healing. First of all, that being with oneself, just being very still, brings energy. It brings spaciousness. It brings openness. It brings about an environment inwardly in which there is love and care and sensitivity. And it's in that environment that the past can arise and be welcomed and accepted and accommodated. The past simply doesn't have that welcoming and acceptance and understanding in an inner environment which is overburdened and overpowered and and preoccupied. That being still, that being with oneself, is also a direct way of connecting with inner resources, of energy, of peace, of serenity, of strength, of power, that we have those resources, that those qualities are within us, The qualities of love, the qualities of awareness, the qualities of being awake are within us. And it's the understanding and the real true deep connection with those qualities that we begin really to see the emptiness of our belief systems. That I am not just like this. We begin to see the emptiness of these descriptions and labels and images which are so much bound to the past that beneath that there is a way of being and a way of seeing and a dimension of being which is not conditioned, which is whole, which is complete and which is free. Healing also must come really through being a deep and clear awareness of the present, through not creating pain in the present, Meditation, if it's not without sensitivity, if it's without sensitivity, if it's without care, can be another way of creating pain because it becomes filled with all the expectations, the should be's, the demands, and in that becomes a step towards pain. And a deeper meditation, a truer meditation, is an act of sensitivity. It's the one in which you don't separate the benefits and the fruits of the practice from the way in which you practice so that you practice with sensitivity and you experience sensitivity. 
You practice with peace and you experience peace. You practice with love and you experience love. And through that practice and that connection inwardly, through cultivating that spaciousness which dissolves belief systems, there's a possibility to integrate. There's a possibility of insight, the possibility of understanding. There's a possibility of completing what has finished. And there's a possibility of being born in each moment, in freshness, in receptivity, in understanding, and in love. And in that healing that takes place inwardly, there's a capacity to give of that love and sensitivity. And within, it, within each person who takes it upon themselves to heal inwardly, there's a capacity to give of that healing to this world which so desperately needs it, which so desperately needs to be free of division, which so desperately needs to be free of pain and separation, alienation, at this world that we live in that is so much in need of care, in need of compassion, in need of love. And those qualities lie within ourselves. They're not states that are gained, but they are qualities which are rediscovered, reconnected with, and which in that discovery, those qualities have life and they have power, and they have the capacity to heal, both inwardly and outwardly. May all beings live with sensitivity. May all beings live with love. May all beings live with compassion. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.